Hi, I'm Johnny Reinhardt. And I'm Megan Francis. And you're listening to the Meet the Makers podcast. In this show, we talk to the masters who create beer, wine, and spirits in Southwest Michigan to hear what inspires their craft. It's all part of the Makers Trail. You can learn all about the makers that are part of the Makers Trail at makerstrail.org and plan your route with the map available right at their website, makerstrail.org. And now it's time to Meet the Makers. Welcome to another episode of the Meet the Makers podcast. And if you're just now listening to this one and you haven't heard any other past episodes, well, continue with this one. But when you're done, go back and listen to a lot of our uh, other past episodes. Very excited about this one, though. I'm going to be hanging out at Round Barn Public House in Baroda. Great place to hang out and have some fun. And uh, we had a lot of fun with Malcolm Wyman. He's the head brewer over at uh, Round Barn, and we talk all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, how it all got started for him and how it almost ended pretty quickly because he started homebrewing and, well, he'll tell you what his beer ended up tasting like. But uh, we'll, we'll talk more about all that stuff here in just a little bit. But sit back, relax, maybe grab yourself a nice cold beer and enjoy. Do you want to be called the brewmaster or the head master brewer. of the brews or the head brewer? <laughs> head brewer, please. <laughs> All right. Malcolm Wyman is joining us. Uh, how are you, man? I'm well. And yourself? Doing well. So you've been uh, very busy, as you probably are every single day, uh, working here, doing brewing and all kinds of fun stuff all the time. Uh, we're getting into the summer season here pretty soon before we know it. Um, but uh, what, what, what do you got going on for, for you? What, what have you been up to? Well, it never stops. Uh, we constantly stay busy producing new seasonals. And right now we've just released our barrel-aged series. So we're pretty excited about that. The Russian Imperial Stout Catharsis, aged in a bourbon barrel. And then we've also got a couple other sort of smaller batches like the Mexican Cake Stout, uh, bourbon barrel-aged Wee Heavy, and our cognac aged cocoa stout so a lot of these are just now coming on tap and yeah. we're all really excited about these we have some new seasonals coming up in may we're releasing our reverse psychology hefeweizen nice and of course a uh, long-awaited grape expectations which is something that uh, we've had a lot of requests for yeah so uh yeah really looking forward to uh the summer season and keeping busy so let's let's go way back to uh, how did this all get started for you in the just being wanting to be a brewer? Okay, sure. Um, well, I grew up in Kalamazoo, okay. and, which is a big beer city, and uh, in college I kind of got the thought in my head that uh, brewing beer would be a little cheaper than right. drinking beer and buying beer all the time, and uh, it wasn't. It's not cheaper. It actually is a lot more expensive, <laughs> and um, you also make a lot of you know, bad beer and sort of uh, bad decisions sure. with some uh, recipes uh, for the first year or so. Yeah. But I had a lot of uh, home brewers kind of show me the ropes and had an opportunity eventually to uh, apply at Dark Horse Brewing Company. And I got the gig. I started working there uh, in packaging and uh, working in the cellar and moved out to Southwest Michigan and started working at Greenbush and uh, worked in the cellar there mm -hmm. and did packaging and some brewing. And uh, in February 2016, I got an opportunity to work as a brewer at Round Barn. And I took it because I wasn't brewing full-time yeah. anywhere else and I wanted to brew full-time. And so 
about a year went by and I, I brewed uh, as a first shift and second shift brewer mm -hmm. at Round Barn and then I was elevated to the head brewer position and That's the last awesome. year since then it's been just a wild ride. So when you were when you were doing this home home brewing and starting that all out, what was like the first beer that you made? Do you remember that? I think yeah, I think the first beer I made was a pumpkin ale and okay. it was a kit because I had bought I, you know, I was in Kalamazoo and Bell's has a great home brewing shop. Yeah. So I bought a lot of equipment from there and I also bought, you know, my first couple kits yeah. from Bell's and it was a pumpkin ale. It did not turn out well. No? It was like a one and a half or 2% horribly fermented <laughs> pumpkin ale that all my friends wanted to drink because it was free and I did yeah. not want to drink. So I just went to the store and got my own six pack while they all drink my really horrible pumpkin ale <laughs> did it at least taste like pumpkin yeah it tasted yeah, or like a pumpkin. little bit of spice yeah, in there it was oh yeah the spice was definitely there and there was definitely some you know sweet malt characters but, right you know just didn't ferment well so it was super sweet and uh undercarbonated and all yeah. the worst i made all the mistakes that you make when you first start brewing <laughs> beer so but that's where that's where a lot of people i mean that's not only where they they start with with playing around with stuff but that's where they they start to get the Hey, I'm getting better at this, and maybe this is something I really enjoy doing. Some people homebrew out of, out of necessity, like you were saying, where they think, <laughs> oh, maybe yeah. this is going to be cheaper. I've known people that'll do that, and they'll say, actually, it was, you know, once I got good at it, it yeah. actually did turn out to be a little bit cheaper, and then you get to have a little more control of, of what you're drinking. Um, but so you, you really liked it. You got better at it, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I did really like it. The process is intriguing, and... Uh, you know, back in those days, I, I really knew nothing about the process and, and it took me working in breweries mm -hmm. and spending years developing this career to really understand what all went into it and to gain a greater appreciation for my pint. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the, at the end of a work day and I go and pull a pint for myself, it's a beer we made. It's a beer, you know, I helped contribute to with mm -hmm. a great team of people that, uh, you know, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be able to be what I am and who and do what I do. Um, and all of us uh, who work here in the brewery have had those moments where we've brewed small batches and they turned out terribly. Mm -hmm. And we just persevere and we just figure out what went wrong and we learn about the process and and go on to the next batch and you know sometimes it, it means recreating the same thing over and over again and sometimes it means just saying okay that project was done let's do a new project yeah. and um there's definitely a lot of growth and learning involved and this industry never stops teaching you what uh is out there and what information people have been able to uncover about beer and the studies that have been done and you know the constant new changes and in ingredients and the availability of those ingredients and you know, how agricultural seasons and, and, and malt houses and hop growers yeah. work all together. It's it's never ending process to learn and, and just get better at what we do. And uh, we're all very passionate about it. And obviously I'm, you know, I'm here, I'm doing this. I'm yeah. obviously very passionate about it. And uh, but yeah, I was I was just fascinated by the process and fascinated by being able to homebrew and, and try new things and, and make a beer that really what it came down to was that I wanted to make beers that I liked, beers that I saw in right. the market that I wanted to recreate for myself and, you know, do my own take on. And, you know, they always say when you're, you're working on something new and, and in a new creative field mm -hmm. to embody what the masters have done, to right. do what all the greats out there have done. And then once you've mastered those 
things and you've learned about those approaches and techniques and then you stop doing what the greats have done before you and you start becoming great and you start doing your own thing. That's really great. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, what's fun too, is that you, yeah, you, you see this, this beer that you like and, or a style that you really enjoy. And you think like, what's the, what's the fun twist I could do on that or play. And and what's great is like you said, we were talking a little bit before we got started about how, even though you'll do, a larger production for distribution or, uh, you know, a seasonal that is, you know, mm-hmm. everywhere and that people really love, you still will try this stuff out, especially if you're playing around with things, you'll still try it out with small batches. Yeah. We small batch, um, all the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we're waiting for yeast to become available, uh, while fermenting, uh, so we can move on to the next generation and brew the next batch mm-hmm. of Kolsch, the next batch of hop dealer indecision. Um, in the meantime, you know, we have a small batch system, a 15 gallon small batch system that we trial all recipes on. Um, we normally go through two to five versions of a small batch trial before we ultimately conclude to scale it up or we decide it's not going to work. Um, and there's definitely a lot of development for next year. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I really like about, you know, being organized and kind of being on the ball is that, you know, we're not rushing for this year. We're not rushing for our plans for this production year. So we can small batch and we can plan for the next year and we can add new seasonals and we can add new things that we've been trialing and then putting on tap for our customers to enjoy and kind of getting customer responses from. So if people say, oh yeah, we really like that Vienna lager or, oh yeah, we really like that black IPA, we might consider using it for next year's calendar. And we have a lot of time now to trial that recipe again and Mm -hmm. trial it again and trial it again. And so we get confirmed numbers and then we can scale up and move to the next step. Now, with with a lot of the uh, the beers that may be seasonal, and and I'm a huge fan of Kolsch. It's one of my one of my go tos. Um, but also like grape expectations. Let's talk about that beer a little bit because um, that one is um, it's it's different. Yeah, very uh, but different. I love it. But it, it why is it different? What what is the process that is that is different than say a regular beer? Sure, um, you know, without the white Niagara that we add to the tank, it would just mm-hmm. be um, a kind of crisp, uh, sort of acid, acidic uh, pale ale. Yeah, and we add white Niagara grape juice yeah. to the tank during fermentation. So when it gets to final gravity, when it's to a good point where it's been steady and trending well, then we will add um, quite a bit of grape juice to the tank. And then we also, when the fermentation is complete and we move it to the next tank and begin conditioning, we condition for, you know, five to seven days with pink peppercorn. In oh, the, fun. Yeah, in the tank. So it actually, because it's sweet with the grape juice and has some, you know, somewhat acidic qualities, mm-hmm. then we, that pink peppercorn that we add really rounds out the flavor and really balances the finish. Otherwise, you would just get a really sticky sweet yeah. beer, but that pink peppercorn is kind of our secret ingredient in there that really rounds out the flavor. Wow. Pink peppercorn. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. That's, Wow. And that, that's what's cool is that, uh, you know, you're able to, especially with being part of this with Round Bar Public House, you have Round Bar Winery and mm-hmm. other wineries that you can pull pull ideas and and gr- ingredients from as Absolutely. well, which is really cool. But also what's great is in the public house, you got a lot of great food mm-hmm. uh, here as well. So you can kind of pull in those those culinary ingredients and culinary aspects Absolutely. to to really uh, make your beer 
pop and stand out mm-hmm. more. Definitely. I, I was just talking with Chef Ryan about um, the vanilla beans that we tend to use for yeah. the vanilla stash, which were in the process of planning for vanilla stash to be released um, in June. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, in July. Okay. And um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, vanilla bean currently is uh, very rare and there's a a, the price has skyrocketed by you know almost three times what it was last year Mm -hmm. uh there's been a lot of storms in madagascar and uh there's really only a couple places that you can get good quality vanilla bean uh so we're trying to we're trying to decide what options we have we're trying to decide you know what price we want to pay Mm -hmm. but working with ryan and working with a guy who obviously is a culinary genius Mm -hmm. and has a great perception of flavor and aroma he is able to help me sort of figure out what our alternatives are he can help yeah. me find the best price we can work with the, we can work mutually with those ingredients that pink peppercorn that comes out of grape expectations goes right to ryan's kitchen right and he uses it yeah he dries it out and uses it for a variety of dishes or the vanilla beans that come out of the tank from vanilla stash after it's conditioned for five to seven days with mm-hmm. vanilla bean that goes right to Ryan so that he can add it to his desserts. So we're constantly sharing and we're constantly going back and forth, uh, with what we can do, uh, with the ingredients that we have. Yeah. That's really fun because yeah, it's almost like you can almost go to the kitchen and say, I think I want to do this. Can I borrow this? Can I use this? And then, yeah, the fact of being able to reuse, mm-hmm. uh, something that is there and also not only, makes uh you know the flavors of the beer great but also you have fun things to do in the kitchen as well and and it's ends up being delicious and also a good pairing Mm -hmm. when you have that stuff yeah ryan likes to use our beer in his uh food pairings when Mm -hmm. we do the beer dinners and when we do because we do a lot of beer dinners um in the spring early spring and and then late fall yeah and the beer dinners tend to pair with seasonal beers and um uh, sort of never before seen beers. Yeah. And so he oftentimes will take the, in this case, uh, last week we had the barrel aged beer dinner. He took the barrel aged Russian Imperial style mm-hmm. and made it with the dish that with the uh, tenderloin that he ended up pairing with that yeah. beer. So uh, without those crossovers, we don't get the most authentic pairings or we don't get the most authentic flavors. But um you know, it's not always, it's not in all cases that we do that, but we sure. often try to also pair um, dishes that are consistent with that region of the world where that beer comes mm-hmm. from. So if I'm brewing a beer that's German inspired or British inspired and we release it in the, in the tap room yeah. or we release it in the public house, then Ryan will often find something that represents that region or that culture yeah. to pair with that, that beer. So uh, something that we have coming up, uh, we're, we have a Bob's your uncle mm-hmm. is coming out, which is a long awaited customer favorite. Uh, we're doing an, an, on draft and six packs and Bob's your uncle is an English premium bitter. So it's mm-hmm. a lower ABV, but slightly hoppier. Um, and it's got a really great British yeast character. And that week when we release it, we're hoping to do shepherd's pies yeah. and Irish stews and things like that to kind of embody where that beer came from. That's cool because that, that's a way of. Enjoying the beer even more uh, of like how it should be enjoyed. Yeah. And with you have, yeah, with, with the food. And that's yeah. how every beer really is, is one way of enjoying it is, mm-hmm. is having a food and being able to do it regionally yeah. like that with the style and the, and the food, it makes it even better. And yeah, there's so many great ways to enjoy beer and then enjoy the food. And 
I think you guys, I mean, like you said, I mean, Chef Ryan and and you guys, that pairing with you guys mm-hmm. has been great because I've been to the beer dinners before and just, yeah, the stuff that, that comes out of it, whether it's a, a beer that you're, you guys are just playing around with for specifically for that dinner, it just, uh, it's great. Yeah, we make a good team. Ryan and I are um, definitely, we have very similar visions on mm-hmm. uh, what we'd like to see come out of the public house. And, you know, my end is beer oriented and his end is food oriented and, and we never really disagree ever on what we want to do. So um, it's a lot of fun working with Ryan, but, it, you know, beyond that, it's a lot of fun working here at Round Barn. Uh, this company has given me a lot of opportunities yeah, and it's given me a lot of um, chances to showcase our skills here in the brewery and and bring put our best foot forward in a community of beer lovers yeah. in a community of people who brew beer enjoy beer and uh you know live around and work around beer um you know the brewers and i all of our livelihoods are dependent on what we make our right. product that we make and as uh brewers we're focused on production and distribution but as artists we're focused on producing the, the best quality yeah. that we can, the freshest vision that we can, the newest approach to things that we can possibly do, and also revisit the traditional and revisit the things that uh, come from the past that we're, you know, indicate where we come from and what we'd like to see going forward. Yeah. So where the brewers and I, we all have, um, you know, a great understanding of uh, what we're looking for, what we want, and we all agree that, you know, we want to do new things and old things. and um, Somewhere in between, we we end up. We, that's where we normally end up. Somewhere in between. So definitely, yeah. No, that's that's the best so, way to do it. I mean, yeah. and that's that's what's great too is that uh, you have a good relationship with all the brewers, and and known from the past, you've had um, fun competitions between not just the the brewers and coming up with cool ideas, mm-hmm. but also with the other people that may not be brewers within the building yeah. or within the company, and you have fun little competitions and. You were saying there, there was some beers that came out of stuff like that that ends up being a pretty awesome beer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Battle of the Brewers, uh, which was earlier this spring, featured um, 12 small batch beers yeah. that were brewed by members within the uh, company. Mm-hmm. We had done an employee training, and we had gone through and trained the staff on how to pour beer, how to change kegs, how to talk about beer, how beer is made. And those that were interested got a chance to sign up and brew beer with the brewers. Yeah. And so each brewer got a team of, they got two teams of, of about, you know, three or four people, some, somewhere up to five. And, um, the folks that were on those teams got an opportunity to share their vision of their beer and what they wanted to make and what style they were interested in. And the brewer uh, met with all of them, had a beer with all of them, and finally wrote their own recipe. And uh, then those staff members came in and brewed that beer with the yeah. brewer. And I had no input. I had no part of it. I let those brewers and those uh, employees do whatever they wanted to do. And yeah. we ended up with some really, really awesome selections. The actual, the one that won the uh, competition was the Maple Jack Brown, okay. which is uh, maple pecan brown ale wow. that was brewed by the public house management staff and brewed by uh, Jack Myers, one of our lead brewers at uh, Round Bar. That's really cool. And that that's stuff like that in, in other places, you may never even have that kind of thing happen where you have that, not only that relationship between somebody that is not part of the brewing staff, um, but like you wouldn't have a cool idea like that come out of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. if you didn't have that cool camaraderie, but also education 
because yeah. that obviously, uh, I'm sure for all the people that were involved, uh, mm-hmm. especially the ones that aren't in the brewing on the brewing staff, they, they learned so much, uh, but then gain that extra appreciation. Yeah. I'm actually, one of the, one of the things I'm most interested in is educating yeah. uh, the people about beer. Uh, one of the things I'm really most interested in is educating our staff and our employees about beer, but mainly I'm interested in sharing and, and educating the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of our approaches with our drink menu, for example, is to discuss with the guest what an ABV is, what an IBU yeah. is, what an SRM is, and use these vocabulary, use this vocabulary with our guests so that they understand the, the ways that we quantify beer. Mm-hmm. And those that are innately interested are going to go out of their way to study and learn and read something on their phone or on the internet about yeah. what beer is, how it's made, how it's qualified, how it's quantified, and um, what ingredients go into a beer. And, oh, I'm curious about that ingredient. Let me look mm-hmm. it up and see what that is. And I'm curious about that hop or that malt. What, let me look that up and see what it is. And in the meantime, people are sitting at the bar teaching themselves about beer and yeah. drinking beer just because we're able to push them in that direction. Right. And... Um, you know, the more people that know about the process and the more people that understand what goes into it, the more likely I think that we'll succeed. Mm-hmm. Because when you recognize the effort and the hard work that goes into the brewer's uh, production of beer, but then you go even further back down the line and recognize all of the work that the farmers put in to grow the agricultural product that we use yeah. and all of the work that the maltsters go through to process the barley that we use and uh, the hop growers to process the hops that we use. Uh, all the effort that goes into it, all down the line, all the way until finally it gets to the retailer or finally gets to the customer's pint or when they pick up a six-pack at the mm-hmm. store. And once I think our guests and customers realize really how much effort it goes into the whole process from beginning to end, I think they'll come to appreciate their pint a little more the yeah. way that I did when I first started homebrewing. Well, exactly. Like you said, with the... the that when you were starting home brewing, you realized that, you know, the first batch was not very good. Yeah. So you quickly realized that beer is not just three ingredients. It's <laughs> a lot more yeah. than uh, just, you know, putting these three things with water and see what happens. Right. Uh, it takes a lot more. There's science, there's art. Yes. There's a lot of different aspects that go into just making a good, uh, good pint of beer. I um, think it, that, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I just think that as a brewer, you have to be very left, brained and right brained. Right. You there's definitely brewers out there that are very science oriented mm-hmm. and study and learn about the chemistry of brewing and how proteins change shape and how sugars change yeah. shape and how different adjuncts or different ingredients will contribute these different flavonoids to the beer. But then there's also people who approach it from a very artistic and um, culinary Mm -hmm. point of view where they recognize what ingredients, what flavors certain ingredients create, and they also recognize um, what people want as far as flavor goes. So there's there's very much people on both sides of the spectrum. But I think that if you want to really be the best brewer you can possibly be, you need to care about both things. You need to care about the science, Mm -hmm. and you also need to care about the art. And if you don't reconcile those two things your beer will be very one-sided and very exactly. unbalanced yeah that that happy medium between between the two sides is going to make not only a better beer but also a better uh, appreciation and better and you almost be better a better brewer by yeah. knowing and understanding both of those aspects Absolutely. 
Um, so sp- speaking of gr- ingredients, and mm-hmm. we've talked a little bit about, you know, pulling different ingredients through the, the kitchen and, and things like that and working with, with uh, Chef Ryan and, and coming up with your own ideas on the way things work. Um, what about as far as ingredients that are, because we know Michigan is, you know, the brewer, breweries keep growing and there's more and more and more. Um, what about as far as local ingredients? What are you using okay. in this area? Yeah, um, well... A lot of folks know that we have a big farming community, of yeah. course, in Baroda and in Southwest Michigan. So we try to use as much locally sourced fruit as we possibly can. Um, right now, we are working with Mick Klug Farms yeah. to source uh, strawberries for our Rue the Day Hefeweizen, which we'll release in July. Um, we're in the planning stages for that Hefeweizen right now. We're, you know, ordering materials, ordering yeah. yeast, ordering. Um, Strawberries, and so we're trying to figure out when we can get those Michigan strawberries at the right time. Yeah. Uh, we're hoping first week or second week of June, we can add those ra- raspberry or strawberries to the tank. Yeah. But we're also working on a raspberry wheat ale uh, for the summertime as well, which we're hoping to release in August, as well as um, our usual, uh, very favorite, uh, a very popular favorite, the Black Magic, which mm-hmm. is a black and red raspberry chocolate stout. Oh, fun. Uh, so both of those will source also from McClube Farm. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, uh, we're also using, this is one of our uh, flagship products, the Kolsch. We're also using all locally sourced hops in our Kolsch. We have been for uh, a little less than a year now, yeah. where we source all of the Willamette hops that are grown uh, by Hophead Farms from Paw Paw, Michigan. Yeah. So it's not far from us. Um, it's certainly within the you know sort of local spectrum, and we're really proud to be able to say that Kolsch is made 100% with yeah. locally sourced hops. Uh, and we're working now um, with a couple malt houses in Michigan, uh, particularly Empire Malting Company and yep. a couple others that uh, will help us with a couple of brews that we're planning to do next fall, particularly the Michigan Common, one that I'm personally really excited about. I've never seen a Michigan Common before, so I'm eager to produce it. Right. Um, but it's uh, inspired by the California Common, inspired by the uh, esteemed beer. And, but the exception would be that all ingredients are sourced from Michigan. Uh, all the hops and all the malt, everything will come from locally pr- local providers. And uh, if we can continue that trend, if we can continue moving towards local providers for our specialty products and specialty yeah. beers, we can gradually begin to distribute those malts and distribute those hops into our mainstay recipes. And the more that people help us and support us in this endeavor, the more that we grow and the more that the farmer grows. And the more that these local malt houses grow. And I think that makes a big difference in our appeal. Definitely. Well, and and like that's the thing is that we are the fruit belt, but uh, we have that interesting environment here in Southwest Michigan. That's much reason why we're able to grow such great wine grapes yeah. is that this region is also good for, for certain hops, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Michigan in general is pretty good for certain hops. Yeah. Michigan Chinook is pretty, uh, has been growing quite well. Um, but Hophead Farms has grown a lot over the yeah. last five years and they're able to provide a huge variety of hops now mm-hmm. that are locally sourced. And they also provide proprietary hops that are yeah. that come from other places in the country. Um, I know that Hophead Farms is also doing the best they can to get um, some authentic domestic 
uh, hops, or I'm sorry, authentic uh, German noble hops. Oh, okay. Um, they actually send their crews to Germany to farm their yeah. plots out there. And um, so a lot of the stuff that they're bringing back and importing back to us, uh, while they have grown it into, you know, mm-hmm. uh, hophead farms, they're also... Uh, the authentic German noble hop. So yeah. it's kind of nice to be able to get those flavors as well. Um, one of the things that I'm really interested in is the terroir of Michigan. Yeah. Terroir isn't really a word that's used to describe beer very very often. Um, terroir is often used to describe grapes and wine right. and the region where those wines uh, came from yeah. and the grape, where the region where those grapes were grown. But I think that a major element of the flavor discussion that's been missing from craft beer is the terroir of that region. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult sometimes, of course, when you have base malts that are widely produced and you have specialty malts that are widely produced to really get a good feel of the terroir of a region through beer. But I think that if we're really devoted to sourcing malts and sourcing hops from local Michigan providers, right. we will see a growth and a change in the Michigan terroir. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I really am eager to do is small batch and trial a couple recipes with Kolsch. Just take the Kolsch recipe down to the small scale and brew it with hops that are sourced from Oregon the way right. that we used to, yeah. and then brew it with hops that are sourced from Michigan the way we do now, yeah. and really compare the two and see what the difference is because that terroir will become readily apparent to us. It'll be a Michigan flavor, not an Oregon flavor, which would be, you know, something that I think a lot of people miss out on when they analyze beer and they study beer. So for us, it's uh, a personal project for me, but also as a company and in the brewery, we're trying to really grow in this, in this direction and really, you know, use those local ingredients. Well, and that's the thing is that, like you said, and the flavor is going to be a little bit different. It may be subtle, but it's going to be a little bit different because just because this environment and all that is, is similar, it's still going to be slightly different. Um, as far as the environment goes, because anything grown, I mean, if you grow anything, uh, in, in California or Oregon or Mm -hmm. Washington, and then you try to grow the exact same thing in Michigan, Mm -hmm. it's, it's going to be a little bit different. Oh yeah. It may be something that's subtle, but it's going to be different. And yearly growing conditions, things as as they change from year to year, those growing conditions will affect flavor as well. And, you know, we may not see the results immediately in the brewing community, but you know, if we had a bad crop year in one year, we'll see it pop up next year or the year mm-hmm. after, or if we had a really great crop year, then those are going to make uh, a big difference in the quality of flavor. Well, and, and, yeah, and that's the challenge that you, you deal with, too, is it with yep. some of the ingredients that you are using, like whether it's you know vanilla or, mm-hmm. or strawberries or something like that. Crop years and the way the environment and everything goes and yeah. the weather and all that stuff couldn't seriously affect Well, we've things. had to make some changes to our recipes this year. Um, some of the base malts have changed for some of our recipes because we were originally sourcing this base malt um, from Franco-Belgian malt house, Mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, in France. And we weren't able to source those malts any longer when the new year came along uh, because they had such uh, abysmal crop rates uh, last year. And so we made those changes because one, we couldn't source the malt we needed. And two, it actually was quite a bit cheaper to get uh, something that was more domestic and you know, comes from Canada instead than from France. Mm-hmm. And we only use that base malt for, you know, very few varieties. But one of those varieties was Hop Dealer. Yeah. And Hop Dealer, um, we trialed the new recipe. Even though Hop Dealer is a confirmed recipe, 
if I'm going to change something as dramatic as the base malt, then I'm going to trial it two to three yeah. times. And we're going to do flavor side-by-side -side comparisons between the, what we have on tap and what the trial is. And ultimately, we concluded that the flavor was so similar that nobody would really know that we made the change. Sure. Uh, but we're, we're actually, you know, happy with the change because we get great efficiency with it. And uh, the base malt is more... Uh, uh, we use that base malt in every other recipe for the most part. So, uh, we can actually, uh, source that instead of the one that comes from France and, uh, we end up having much better luck. And definitely. so there are other instances where, you know, what is available as far as an ingredient is not always something that, uh, you know, as we move into the new year or to the next year, a recipe might have to change or right. a recipe might have to evolve because that recipe, that ingredient is no longer available. Well, and that's all of those little things that somebody that comes to the public house and has a glass of beer, that's all those behind the scenes things that they don't even think about. Yeah. And they don't even realize all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. I think a lot of stuff. people don't realize the commitment we have to quality. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that because uh, one of my other endeavors this year, uh, you know, spending the last years had brewer and developing new recipes and developing right. procedures and processes this next year. I'm really excited to really dive into our quality control program and, and continue to in, in develop and grow um, our quality control processes. Mm -hmm. And while we have some really great quality control points that we always monitor and we always evaluate, and we also quite frequently test our bottles and send our bottles into for testing, uh, we really want to start becoming a lot more committed to yeah. quality control process. And we're small, we're a small brewery. Yeah. We brew about 2,200 barrels a year. Um, and at that, at that size, sometimes breweries don't emphasize quality control the way that they could. And we, you know, it's just, it doesn't make sense not to, it doesn't make sense, you know, even at any level, you know, if you're only producing 500 barrels a year, you should still have every quality control point that you can possibly Definitely. imagine. Because if you can't track back a mistake or you can't track back an off flavor and you don't know what happened because you didn't take good notes or you didn't do any testing, then you're never going to be able to solve the problem. And the best part about quality control is that you're able to isolate certain factors or variables that may have contributed to a problem. And if you're not having all those quality control points in, in place, then you can't figure out what went wrong. You, can, you might be able to say, oh, well, one of these five things is the problem. Well, if you have good quality control points, you can say this one thing is yeah. definitely the problem. This other thing probably contributed as well. Definitely. And those are the types of things that we're trying to develop so that when we go into the 2019 production year, we're, we're going to be rocking and rolling with a full-fledged quality control process that right now we um you know we're we're doing pretty well at but there's there's no reason not to seek improvement there's no reason not to go out there and learn more all the information and all the studies that are available all the data that's available it makes it only makes sense to 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 take that information and take with the, the other people who are who are great who are huge breweries that yeah. are the masters of this industry to take what they've learned and apply it to what we do on a small scale Definitely. And that's all the great things that happen uh, that people don't realize uh, that happens right behind uh, behind the scenes here at Round Barn. And uh, real quick, um, I usually ask people this all the time. What is a secret that you guys got going on? I know mean, you mentioned some secret ingredients and things like that, but sure. what is something that maybe like a secret is project? Either secret project, yeah, that you're working on. Okay. Um, 
Oh, Michigan Common was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, we do have, um, you know, we, we have a very popular beer um, at the public house called the Cron Optimist. Okay. It's an awesome beer, awesome name. Um, the Cron Optimist is a Saison, and the, the name generally means the person who always overestimates how much time they have. Yeah. Uh, the general procrastinator, right? Mm -hmm. The chronoptimist. Perfect for a beer that takes 30 to 40 days to ferment. Right. You know, something that you're like, oh, I wish this would be done already. It's yeah. just taking its sweet time. Uh, but we've aged chronoptimist, uh, since we produced it, we've aged it in an oak barrel uh -huh. with about a medium char, unused oak barrel. So it's got some really awesome vanillin flavors coming out of the barrel. Um, we have the first set about to package, um, Next month, actually. Okay. And we're really eager to release the oak-aged Saison, which uh, would be more characteristically known as a beer to guard. Uh, the Saison itself is an awesome beer, but this beer to guard um, really brings out some awesome vanilla flavors that cut through some of the spice notes that you normally see in the Saison. So it's uh, something that we're really excited about, something that we're pretty proud of, uh, never something we've never done before. Um, in the meantime, we've also got the winter warmer ale, our spiced winter ale yeah. aging in a bourbon barrel, which we're really excited about nice. releasing that next December when the next winter warmer ale comes out. So we can do a nice side-by-side -side comparison of the spiced ale with yeah. the bourbon spiced ale. So, well, that's yeah. pretty fun. Yeah. Barrel aging is, is always kind of the, the secret of the brewery. You know, you kind of have these, these barrels tucked somewhere in, in, a, in a nice, weather or climate conditioned corner, yeah. then you kind of check on them every so often, but they do their own thing inside those barrels. And what normally comes out is pretty magical. So we we're pretty excited about that. Uh, in the meantime, we've got a lot of small batches that we're trialing and we've yeah. got a lot of new things coming for the 2019 production year. So uh, we got to get through this year first before we get to the next stuff. But this, we got a lot of exciting project coming. So that's really exciting stuff. And I'm glad that you decided not to give up when you first made yeah. that first batch of <laughs> beer <too>. that <laughs> was not good. Thank you. I'm glad that you continued that on yeah. and you're, you're doing some great things. And I'm you. really looking forward to all the great things you have in the future here at Round Barn. Yeah, well, we're really pleased with what we have coming and we're really excited to hear what everyone has to say. So thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Meet the Makers. We would love for you to leave us a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Remember, it's all brought to you by the Makers Trail. Plan your route at makerstrail.org.